0: Hi, my name is Molly Schulte-Tucker, and I have the privilege of pastoring the good people of Ridgewood Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. On October 22nd, 29th, and November 5th of 2023, we are talking about All Saints Day, the rituals and beliefs we have in this life about our next life. What scripture tells us, what we do as a culture, and how we honor the dead. If it sounds morbid or depressing, you're probably with most people who avoid talking about death because it's hard, it's final, it's permanent, and we do everything we can to avoid it until we can't. It's the one experience we all share as human beings. But maybe in the midst of loss, in the moment of remembering, as we do on All Saints Sunday, we might find hope. Today, our scripture passage comes from the book of John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 37. And usually you will hear this passage as Jesus and Lazarus, um, the family's disappointment that Jesus didn't get there sooner. But I want you to listen with perhaps a different ear today. Listen for what you notice they are doing as Jesus gets there. Listen for what what you notice about About time or or rituals, as as Hollis said we're talking about today, what do you notice is going on that usually we see Jesus come into and disrupt or flip or what have you? This isn't a, a trick question, but it's just listen to what these people are doing to mourn the dead. From the book of John. When Jesus had arrived, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. So Jesus began to weep. The Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wonder, what are some of the the movements in the story that you notice around Lazarus had died? What are some of the things that you heard in the story about maybe some of the movements or the rituals around his death? People were with them in the house. Going to the, to Going to the tomb to weep. Yes. I don't want to sound crass but I always think Martha, I always think Martha is um cynical mm. and, and but hopeless. Because in fact she knows. Yeah. There could be some. <laughs> Some, a lot of emotions, uh, cynicism, but some hope, but maybe some, some bargaining of, yeah. Yeah. Anything else you notice? I love how sure they are. I mean, I know she's, everybody in the room today, if you've been here, they know who Jesus is. They know who Jesus is. The first line in uh, a couple places that this appears, it says when Jesus had been in the tomb four days. And a lot of times preachers will harp on that four days because it's not just that Lazarus, Lazarus just breathed his last. But it's that Lazarus is really good and dead and has been in the tomb for four days. His body, even with modern or ancient embalming techniques or preservation techniques, his body has probably started to decay at this moment. Four days, the start of the story. And still, there are people in Mary and Martha's house. I'm assuming the casseroles are running low at this point, but they are still there. And they... That no eye, when one of them gets up and runs to the tomb as if to weep there, four days later, it's still okay. Whereas typically, when we lose someone, we try to have the funeral as soon as possible. And once those last casseroles are eaten, it's time to get on with things. But grief is hard. Death is hard. Each year in the life of the church, we celebrate something called All Saints Sunday. That is not today. That is two Sundays from now, November 5th. And if you look at all of the holidays in the church year, All Saints is actually considered one of the most important holidays in our our liturgical year behind Easter, Christmas, Pentecost. All saints. We don't typically recognize or at least celebrate um, Memorial Day or Labor Day in a church setting, even though they recognize loss, because the church already has a day that is our Memorial Day. If you were to be here in a church in Louisville, Kentucky, if you were to be clear across the world All Saints Day is where we celebrate as a church universal the people who are our saints. The people who have gone on before us and we believe still live among us or are encouragers in our faith. I like to think of them as on the sidelines of the race with pom-poms cheering us on. So this series we're entering into, just a mini-series if you will, called Remember Me Today, we're going to talk about rituals. Next week, we're going to talk about what we believe about after we die. And then that will lead us up to All Saints Sunday, where we will light candles in recognition of the people that we have lost this year or even before this year who are still with us. I'll say before we get going, too, that no one is an expert on death, even the experts on death. Meaning this, there are people who work in bereavement industry, in a funeral home, or maybe in chaplaincy, or maybe in hospice care, or end-of-life care, that deal with loss and death every single day. However, that does not mean that when they lose someone that they love, that it's easy for them. Just because you talk about it, even if you work Within it, That doesn't make death easy. It's the same way. The only uh, parallel I could come up with was it doesn't mean that the person who's checking us out at the grocery store could be a good chef. Right? They may see all the ingredients, can tell you where everything is in the grocery store, but it doesn't mean that they could go home and make that meal themselves. Or the assumption sometimes about therapists, I know there are a few in this room, is that you have your life together. You don't. (laughs) You help other people get their lives together sorry, Bill, I ru- sorry, Stu, I'm sorry, I ruined the mirage. Or if, as we discovered this past Wednesday night, it doesn't mean that your pastor can win at Bible trivia, okay? When we talk about loss, usually some significant loss comes to mind. Maybe it was the first person you ever lost. Maybe it's the last funeral you went to or the first funeral you went to or a very significant funeral that you went to. But death is a common experience among every single person on this earth. Whether you are young, whether you are old, you will experience death. Either in someone you love or one day, you will experience death. But I bet everyone in this room has experienced death. The death of a grandparent, or maybe a parent, or maybe a friend, maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a grandchild. Maybe that was from cancer. Maybe it was from some kind of bodily illness. Maybe it was from some kind of addiction. Maybe it was from suicide. Death is one of the common bonds that we all share. Especially when life is disordered. When we bury someone who is younger than us, or bury someone from a death that seemed preventable. When life is disordered, we are changed. Because it doesn't seem fair. So we doubt the justice of God or it makes us not feel stable in our faith that we've said for so long because we can't predict everything anymore. And it's not controllable. Death isn't controllable. And sometimes that means we drill down harder in trying to control what's around us. But no matter how we've experienced it, it connects each one of us. But we don't talk about death very often because it's so depressing, isn't it, to talk about death? So here's why we're doing this now. It's the same reason that three or four years ago now we did a study on grief. Because when you actually enter into grief or when you actually have loss, your emotions are so high that nothing else can come in. It's why I've always secretly wanted to do Advent in July. Because when we do Advent around Christmas, we are all hyped up on the holly jolly. Here's what I'll say too. One last, uh, one last note about uh, this community too. When we talk about rituals like a funeral uh, or like a memorial... That is one of the few times in your life you may have no idea what to do. And here's what I want to say to you as your pastor. That's okay. That's why I'm here. Even the experts on death don't know how to deal with death. But as a pastor, or if you know a chaplain, or another minister, that's what we're here to do. We're here to walk with you through those rituals that are hard. Author Mitch Albom once said that rituals are formulas by which harmony is restored. You have that on the front of your bulletin if you want to take it home with you. Rituals are formulas by which harmony is restored. If you look throughout human history, there is a pattern of burying the dead. And it's not something we started in modern history. It has happened for thousands and thousands of years. And so like a good Master student from Duke Divinity School, I opened Google and said, why do we bury our dead? And after sifting through some weird pages, it's a protection mechanism. It's something that we just we do and we know we're supposed to do it, but in a way it's a protection mechanism for both both us and the person that has died. Burying the dead in early times meant that it prevented the body, it prevented people from having to watch bodies of people they love decay. It was a self-protection. But also, if you want to know why we bury six feet down. It's to prevent theft or to prevent animals from finding these bodies. It's a protection mechanism for us and them. Now, eventually, of course, there were expectations that were pinned onto this burying ritual. A service, maybe in a church or funeral home, and then a graveside uh, that you may be familiar with. There are words, there are processes But if you look at any culture throughout human history, there is some kind of ritual associated with death. My mom, if she was here uh, today, she's with Cooper today, she taught ancient Egypt in a social studies classroom to fifth graders. I don't know if you knew that. Ancient Egypt and ancient Greece. And one of the projects that I had to do as a young fifth grader was I had to go to Uh, the Kroger butcher, and ask if there were any pieces of meat that had fallen on the floor. My entire class had to do this. And we would get a little piece of meat that we would take home and put in a Tupperware of salt. We would mummify this little piece of meat. It was called the Mummified Meat Project. If you go up to my mom and say, I want to learn about the Mummified Meat Project, she will tell you about it, uh, and she may even give you extra credit. It was actually an extra credit uh, assignment. But what she would tell you about too is that ancient Egyptians had lavish rituals around death. There's something called canoptic jars. If you have seen, they kind of look like, not mason jars, but, but large jars with heads of animals that would symbolize different gods There's a tool, this is fun, there's a tool that's a long hook that those who would prepare the bodies of Egyptians who had died would use it to go up the nose and scrape out the brain, put it in a canoptic jar and preserve it just in case that person came back to life. (laughs) But they believed that something was going to happen in the afterlife that meant they needed to preserve that body in salt and spices and tombs and sarcophagus, what have you. Or you could look to a more modern example of a funeral ritual New Orleans jazz funerals. A parade that follows a body down the street with sorrowful music. Once that body is buried, that jazz turns upbeat. Or maybe you could look to South Korea that in the year 2000 passed laws that after 60 years you had to remove the grave of someone you had buried because they're so short on land. So cremation obviously became more popular after the year 2000 in South Korea. Or something called, this just doesn't hit me the right way, something called death beads where the remains or ashes were pressed into uh, beads that you could wear around your neck or have in your home to remember your loved ones. Who wants one of those? Or you could look into Mongolia, who had sky funerals still to this day. It stretches thousands of years back. The Mongolian people believe that the soul leaves the body when someone dies and that they want to return the body to the earth. So after someone dies, they chop up the body, put it on the top of a mountain where it is returned to the earth, sometimes with vultures. And would you believe that 80% of Tibetan people want, desire, ask for, This type of funeral is called a sky funeral. One of my favorite uh, rituals around death, though, has come in the last few months as my family has discovered the movie Coco. Dios de los Muertos. The Mexican people have an altar that they decorate once a year with flower petals and lights, but it's kept up with pictures of people uh, who have passed, sometimes generations. There's this beautiful story about Coco, Mama Coco, if you make it through the movie without crying. But in Mexican culture... Stories are told, laughter is shared to remember the people who have gone before them. You know, it's interesting. There is no one linear or expected way to grieve a loss. Even when death is expected or imminent, the moment of death is still new and hard and permanent. And being in a culture that is extremely anti-death, because we have eye serums and we have medications and we have makeup and we have workouts and we have superfoods and we have tips and tricks that come to us online all to stop aging. Because if we age, what does that mean comes next? will die. So what is it about these rituals? What is it about these rituals that mean so much to us? These all saints rituals that come once a year that sometimes we've never heard of until we step into Ridgewood Baptist Church. What is it about remembering Each week, we come to this table as a ritual, with hope that it will restore harmony to our souls, and our community, and maybe even the world. So when Jesus was eating with his disciples, he didn't give them a theology of death and afterlife. He gave them symbols of his body, his presence with them. And he said, remember me. Jesus didn't say, remember his death. Remember his life, his words, his teaching, his humanness, his emotions, his turning over tables, Laughter with the disciples. His death would be something that would stick with us because of its violence, its magnitude. He knew that. But before we even got there, Jesus said, "Remember me." That is how we continue forward with this ritual. You remember. You don't forget. You remember me. Jesus said, "There's no shame in remembering who was with us." In fact, remembering might even give a break to the darkness of grief. And remembering, we might even find hope or harmony in the future. Let's pray. God, through this weekly ritual, we trust that you are restoring harmony to our souls that come to you troubled or grieving or broken or lost. We trust that you are restoring Harmony to a world that is broken and grieving and troubled and lost. We trust that your peace is one that passes all understanding, and that by remembering Jesus, we might live in a bright hope for tomorrow.